and fine job. Well, welcome. Are you glad to be here today? Amen. Amen. I am as well. Make your way in the Word of God to John chapter 17 as we finish John chapter 17 today. We have talked about Jesus praying for himself in the first five verses. The next 14 verses he prayed for his disciples. And in these last six verses he prays for himself. And uh, it's hard to imagine that over 2,000 years ago Jesus prayed for us. But he did. And he knew that we would be believers. And he prayed that we might be unified. And that is the prayer that I have, is that we might be unified. But you know, we call ourselves the United States of America, don't we? But I would say presently we have become the divided states of America. And everywhere you look, there's division. And this division runs rather deep. There is political division, which is quite easy to observe all across our land. There is racial division, which we hear about on the news almost daily. But there's also division in homes, where homes are divided and they struggle with one another. And there's even division in churches. And there should never be division in churches, but unfortunately, there is. I remember as a young boy, being excited about learning about the presidents of the United States, the past presidents, I remember reading about Abraham Lincoln in a speech that he gave in a debate against Stephen Douglas in 1858. And in that debate, he quoted Mark's Gospel in chapter 3, verse 25, A house divided against itself, that house cannot stand. He lost the race for the U.S. Senate in 1858, but he won the presidency in 1860. And then he presided over a divided United States for the next five years until his untimely death in 1865 when he was shot at the Ford Theater. But it's amazing how divided the nation is today. And it's sad that we are divided. You know, the devil may not be great in every field of mathematics, but he is exceptional in the field of long division. And there is incredible division in the churches, in homes, in our states, in our families. And God wants us to be unified. He wants us to be one people. Just as in a marriage ceremony, I come toward the end of the marriage ceremony and I state this, that you may be one in unity One in destiny, one in purpose, and one in life. And then I will state, I now give you Mr. and Miss. But we need to be united as a body of believers. And there's only one way to be united. There's some very powerful theology these last few verses that I want to read today. And in fact, the verses that we have leading up to this, there's powerful theology. I mean, we learned the definition of eternal life in verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We also learned, and then verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. His word is truth. It is reliable. We can depend upon His truth. 
the Word of God reveals the source of truth. So let's stand and read these last few verses of this high priestly prayer. We will start in verse 20. I do not pray for those alone, but also for those who will believe in me through your word, that they all may be one. That's a common theme you're going to see, this one, this one, this one. That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me as you loved them as you have loved me. Father... I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Father... We pray for these truths today to be seen clearly from your word. I thank you, Father, that you have given us the source of truth, the source of life, the source of eternal life. And, Father, we are so grateful today that we can come to this prayer knowing that as Jesus faced the cross, he had us on his mind. And, Father, I pray that you would just allow these truths to sink into our hearts and minds, that we might have that relationship with you that we desire. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, Jesus prayed for himself. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed for us. He prayed for himself to be glorified. He prayed for his disciples to be sanctified. And he prays for us as a body of believers today to be unified. So he's praying these prayers that we might be one in him. I'm going to give you about three things today, three or four. The first thing I want to share with you is Jesus prayed that we will keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, see, I didn't say that Jesus prayed that we'll make unity, but that we'll keep unity because unity only comes from Him. It doesn't come from us. We can't produce that type of unity. Jesus prayed that we would be one as He and the Father are one. In verse 22, He said, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. That a body of Christ should be one. They should be unified in all that they do and all that they say. Now, let me share with you what unity is not so we can then see what unity is. Because so many times people misunderstand what unity is. Unity, number one, is not uniformity or sameness. Because some people say, well, you know, when you, when you come to the church, you become a member of the local church, you all need to be in uniformity. No, we're not in uniformity. That's not unity. U- uniforms are worn in the military because they have uniformity. And they, they look the same. And, and if you've been to basic training, you know that they break you down to build you up that you have this uniformity. But that's not what the church needs is uniformity. The Christians uh, need to understand that there is great, great 
diversity within the body of Christ. We are not all the same. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, listen, we are all created for different functions in the church. Some are the eye, some are the ear, some are the leg, some are the toe, some, yes, they're the armpit. And I won't go any further than that. But there's every single part of the body of Christ has a function. And in that function, we need to understand God has gifted me in this particular area and that's where I will work. I've heard of a church down in Texas. I don't know if it's true or not. I couldn't couldn't verify it. But I heard the story of a church in Texas. And this church in Texas, when you became a member of that church, they had a barber shop in the church. And they would give you a Christian haircut. Now, I'm looking around. You know, we're all a little bit different here, right? We're not all the same. And I don't even know what a Christian haircut means. But I, I found that interesting that they would say, give you a Christian haircut. You know, I look around here and I see long hairs, I see short hairs, and I see no hairs. And we're all different. God, God created us that way. And as we think about uniformity, we think about this sameness that we all have to dress the same, act the same, look the same, talk the same. All of these things are the same. But you know, it's amazing that that uniformity doesn't work because if you don't keep all of these commandments, all of this list of to-dos and to-don'ts, then you're not part any longer. You're kicked out of the club. And that's uh, kind of strange. So it... Unity is not uniformity. It's not sameness. We are a very diverse group here, and thank the Lord that we are. Secondly, unity isn't unification. And when I say unification, I'm talking about human efforts. It's not human efforts to to all work together that that we somehow, some way, someday will all end up at the same place. It's not human efforts because human efforts together, we have all of these different religions And as you study these different religions, people try to compact them and put them together and make them one, but you can't put these together. They are not one. They are not the same. It is human desire to say, well, you know, every group has truth. And as I was preparing for this message, I came across this interesting fact that there is a Bali temple in Chicago, Illinois, that has nine different doors. And these nine doors, eight doors represent the eight major world religions. And the ninth door is a DIY door, do-it-yourself door. And they say, you know, we come through different doors, but we're all going to the same place. And that's just not true. Anybody ever seen this, the bumper sticker coexist? Anybody ever seen that? Play along with it. you never seen that? Thank you, somebody has. Yes, a few people have. And as you look at that symbol... Uh, you think, well, wh- what is that? Well, the characters, the first character, it's a crescent of Islam. Then there is the pacification, peace, peace, peace. There's a symbol of sexual rights. There's a symbol of the star of David for Judaism. There's the Wiccan symbol uh, of the Dacia, and, and that's paganism. And then finally there's Christianity, Taoism, and Taoism and then Christianity. And we look at all those, but it's ironic, the history of this symbol, that they're saying we just all need to coexist in peace and unity and just get along with our human efforts and we can be unified. But it's interesting that that group hasn't been able to coexist with one another. 
In fact, the Polish Jewish artist that created that symbol in 2000 for an art show in Jerusalem was the one who created it. But then a group of students in Indiana University saw that symbol, they copyrighted it as their own, and then they put it out there. And then Bono and U2 saw how this symbol was being utilized, and they began to put it on their apparel. And then some other linen companies got involved, and they put it on theirs. And there was these million-dollar lawsuits about who owned the rights to coexist. And finally, this, this poor Polish Jewish artist that created the symbol wasn't getting anything for it. And as it went through the court system, finally they decided that it did belong to him. The copyright belonged to that poor Jewish, Polish Jewish artist. And then he received it. But imagine, they have this, uh, this symbol, coexist, and they can't even coexist. Isn't it amazing? Uh, it, it, it's just amazing to me that people will find anything to fight over. But you can't put them all together and say every door leads to the same place. And here's the reason. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except He comes through me. There's one door. There are not nine doors or two doors. There is one door. And Jesus said, I am it. So, unity is not sameness. It's not human effort. So what is unity? Unity is our shared connection in Christ. Our shared connection in Christ. Now think about it like this. You can go to a place that... I, I, well, I'll just give you a personal example. Uh, in the 90s, Sandy and I went to Brazil three times. And we would meet believers down in Brazil that I had more in common with because of our commonality in Christ than I had with someone that was in my neighborhood that was lost here in America. Because you just get that connection with them. And then when we went down, uh, Jason and I, we went down to Haiti. And the connection you made with other believers, it's amazing because you had that commonality or that shared connection in Christ. And, and, and you just felt like this is somebody I, I've known for a long, long time. Now, there, uh, concerning the church, the church is universal. That's all the believers of all times in the church. That's the universal church. But there's also the local church. And we are a local body of believers here. Salem First Baptist Church. And we can, never, we can never create unity, but we can maintain unity. Because unity is an act of the Holy Spirit of God. As He descends in our life and gives us the opportunity to have unity. We can't keep unity, but we can kill unity. And Paul wrote this in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep, there it is, keep, not create, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and hear these words, and in you all. So, as Christ is in us, that creates this common connection that we have that allows us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because of the precious gift that Christ gave for us. Now, isn't it amazing that churches fight 
over the most minor issues, like the color of the carpet. I don't know if you, a lot of you younger people have probably never heard of Jerry Clower. I loved to listen to Jerry Clower, the mouth of the South. Jerry Clower was talking about his home church, and he told this story of his home church. He said they were having a, a business meeting, and that business meeting, they were going to decide if they were going to buy a chandelier or not. So there was a motion to buy it, there was a second, and then Uncle Versi Ledbetter stood up and he said, I'm again it for three reasons. First reason, I'm again it. Ain't none of us can spell it. Second reason, I'm again it. He said, uh, ain't nobody here can play it. And third reason, I'm again it. What we need in this place is light. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how things go sometimes, you know. And, and it's unbelievable that people will fight over those things. <laughs> I was reading and came across this story. And Anybody ever seen a church that's called Harmony Baptist Church? Probably have. Well, this Harmony Baptist Church was having problems. And they couldn't get along with each other, so a group split off. And just moved down the same road, less than a half a mile... And they called themselves New Harmony Baptist Church. But guess what? New Harmony Baptist Church couldn't get along together either. So they split, and then they started a third church on the same road that was called Greater New Harmony Baptist Church. Now, isn't it foolish? You can call yourself by whatever name you want to call yourself, but that doesn't create unity. That's not going to create unity. I don't care what... You name yourself. Listen, there is only unity found in Christ. And Jesus demonstrated that for us, and He prayed that we'll realize that and that we'll all be one in the Lord. The second prayer request that I see in our text is this Jesus prayed, We will be with Him to see His glory. To me, that is some of the most touching words that we have in the gospel. He wants us to be with him. And he prayed this knowing that in, in a matter of hours, he was going to go and be crucified. He was going to be placed on the cross. He was going to die. He was going to be placed in a tomb. He was going to resurrect. And then he was going to go back to glory. And he's leaving us behind in this world that is divided and hates believers. And Jesus prayed for us, And he prayed for us that we would be with him to see him in glory. And you could just translate that word glory for heaven. He wants us to be there with him in heaven. Now, how do I know that he wants us to be with him in heaven? Well, I'm going to give you three quick reasons. This is basically a sermon within a sermon. First off, Jesus said this. Because of the price that he paid. In John's Gospel in chapter 3 verse 14. As Moses was lifted up on the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So he paid the price. Jesus paid the price. That we might be with him in glory. Second because of the promise that he made. In John 14 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believed in God. Believe also in me. Because of the Price that he paid, because of the promise that he made, and thirdly, because of the prayer that he prayed in verse 24 of our text, Father, 
I desire that they also whom you have gave me may be with me where I am. Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. Return the glory because his glory was veiled. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. So, the price that was paid, the promise that was made, and the prayer that Jesus prayed. Now, listen. This world is a crazy place. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news or go down to town and country at 8.30 at night. I mean, this world is a crazy place. And it's not improving at all. In fact, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And you know, we talked about people suffering, and there's a lot of people suffering right now. A lot of people in our church, they're going through different struggles physically and emotionally and uh, relationally. People are suffering. They're, I mean, they're suffering, suffering physically, emotionally, financially, relationally. On and on we could go with what people are going through. And all of us have gone through difficulties, gone through adversity. And maybe we're in the midst of adversity right now where you are. That's why Jesus prayed that we would be with him. And Paul summed that up in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, when he said, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That gives us hope. Because he says, listen, yeah, you're going to go through some tough stuff, but I have a plan. And you're going to go through this adversity, but when you get to heaven, it's going to seem like nothing. Because you're going to be in the perfect presence of the Lord. Third thing I see out of our text. Jesus prayed we will be filled with His love. Now, guys, I want to share something with you. Sometimes believers aren't very nice. They're pretty ugly. And guess what? The Lord said we are to be filled with His love. So be careful in your comments. Don't be too curd in your remarks. We should let love and life flow from our lips, not hatred. In bigotry, we should always allow love to win out. Now, I know there's justice, there's righteousness, there's all these other things, but that's all in love. But Christ filled us with its important truth. In fact, we see a summary of this in the Christian life. In the last five words of verse 26, And I may be in them. And with Christ in us, our hope and glory, We can love people as He loves us. And we can make a difference through that love as we share that. And you know what? The world will see our unity and our love. And guess what? That's how they will know that we are in Christ. That's how they'll know that we are believers. Because He's in us. And if He's in us, there's going to be love that flows from our life. There's there's going to be compassion that comes from our life. We're, We're going to help and not hurt. I may be in them. That is the secret of the Christian life. Him in us. Christ is our hope in glory. Christ within you is comforting. Christ with you is reassuring. But Christ in you is revolutionary. And it totally creates a new creature in Christ, as Paul said in Galatians 5, 17. And in fact, Paul prayed this, this prayer... In Ephesians 3, verse 16 through 19, that He would grant you, again, this is a prayer, 
according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Say it with me. In love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What an incredible prayer. Wow. And he says, listen, this is who you are to be. This is how you are to do it by being in me and I in you and allowing the Christian life to be lived out by our walk. And Paul uses that in Ephesians over and over. He calls it a worthy walk. And the word's peripieto. And it means that we are walking in step, lockstep with Christ. What he would do, we are doing. And the only way you can do that is to be in his word, be in prayer, and be thinking before we act or speak. And we give our lives wholly unto him. Now, that unity that comes from Christ, it doesn't come from anybody in the church. It comes from above the head, which is Christ. And we live through him. A.W. Tozer wrote this many, many years ago. He said, if you were to take a piano and you were to use a tuning fork and tune that piano and then, then, then tune the second piano to the first, and you're in this large room and you have a hundred pianos and you tune the third to the second all the way down to a hundred pianos. They're all tuned. But if you start playing them, there'll be all of these horrible sounds. They won't sound alike at all. But if you take one tuning fork and you tune every single piano to that tuning fork, there will be unity. There will be, there, there will be what comes out of one will come out of a hun- the hundredth one. And it will be peaceful and beautiful and harmonious. And that's what we need to understand. The same is true in life. We can't do it ourselves. All we can do is model ourselves with the indwelling Holy Spirit and walk in His likeness. You know why? Because the world needs to see the church unified. The world needs to see us acting like believers. I read Warren Wearsby. He's got a number of commentaries. And he talked about it years ago in this little Montana, Montana town of this little girl that got lost in a snowstorm. And they got all the community together and they went out searching for the little girl. And everybody was going different directions. And finally, one person said, Listen, let's join hands and go field to field. And they joined hands and they went field to field and field. And finally, They found the little girl, but she was already frozen to death. Her daddy, through tears, said these words, Oh, if we had only joined hands sooner. As a body of believers to the world, we'll show them who we are by how we act, what we say, how we live. So won't we join hands and do what Christ called us to do? Now, if you're here today and you've had a misunderstanding of the Christian life, here's what it is. It's acknowledging Christ. It's being drawn by His Holy Spirit. It's giving your life to Him completely and saying, Lord, I'll follow you now 
and always, forever. And if you need to give your life to Christ, I'm asking you to come today. And if you're here today and you need to become part of the local body, I'm asking you to come today. Don't put it off. There's not a more convenient time than now. Paul says today is a day of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this body. I pray, Lord, for your will. I pray that you would draw whom you desire to draw. And, Father, I just pray that uh, we could have that peace that only you can provide that does pass understanding. And, Lord, we love you and thank you for every good gift that we have. Help, Lord, us to be unified through the presence of your Spirit, your Son, that we might be one as you're one. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Stand and come as you have need.